and welcome to another Scots We Hate podcast. And today I am joined by writer and trail walker, John Scott. I hope you're okay with that introduction, John. That's very good, Alistair. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so we're going to talk about your book, To the Woods, a journey along the Appalachian Trail. But my, I've got an alternative title for it now. I've read it. And it's Zen and the Art of Trail Walking. That was the book <laughs> that jumped into my head, which is a you know, fantastic book. So can you give us a little bit about um, why you wrote this book and what it's about? Okay, all right then. So I walked the Appalachian Trail some 20 years ago in celebration of my 40th birthday. Uh, and it would be fair to say it was a, you know, a very significant physical and mental challenge, walking 2,160 miles across 14 states in three seasons. Um, and upon return to London, I think I was fit for nothing, Alistair, apart from thinking and writing uh, about this very, very significant experience in my life. Uh, so I sat down and like any inexperienced read, uh, writer, I just started to write and write and write and write. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to sell the damn thing. And then, <laughs> and then I discovered that, of course, I'd, I'd, I'd got it completely, uh, completely wrong. Uh, so I tried uh, to flog it to various agents. I failed. I then realized it was taking up too much of my time, so I parked it and came mm -hmm. back to it a few years later and found myself an editor who was kind enough to read it, tell me it was never, I was never going to be able to sell it to an agent, give me six or seven pages of written advice with regards to what to do with the draft, which I followed to the letter, she then took another look at it and, uh, and, and I then published it by myself. And the finished edition is one that you have in your hands. Yeah. Absolutely. I have an ear for people. Just effort to make sense of it all. Yeah. Watching the That's video. One. So how long was it from when you started writing to when actually you actually published it? Uh, so I got back in uh, October 2010. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, October 2000, as I recall. And it took me four years to, to, to publish it. Yeah, yeah. And that included a period of two years when I left it alone because it was, it was, it was absolutely getting in the way of everything I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say, the, the moment I knew that I was really going to enjoy this book is you've got a quote on the back, and if you don't mind, I'm going to read no, go on, go on. Yeah. Well, not only was it totally devoid of humour, but it seesawed back and forth between sneering at Americans and speaking of them worshipfully. With his frequent references to whiskey, I wonder if he's just a mean drunk and wrote certain lines while drinking. Which <laughs> I take my hat off to you for putting that on the cover, I have to say. Fantastic. And, and it was interesting, Alistair, the, the contrast between the feedback from UK readers, which is entirely positive, partly because some of them are old friends, uh, and the feedback from US readers, and that's, that's, that's pretty consistent uh, with, uh, with, with some of the reviews from US readers, it was less than positive, partly because I chose to comment as a, as a foreigner in their language on issues of race, uh, healthcare, gardens, politics, and other, other matters, which they thought it was absolutely inappropriate of me to step towards, but I stepped towards them anyway, so to hell with them all, yeah. It's very interesting because the book starts um, really with you talking about this 
almost love-hate, if that's the right term, affair with all things American. It's something that I share as well. Um, you say at the beginning that you were a teenager in the 70s and I was a teenager in the 80s, but still uh -huh. those, the, the kind of um, spectre, if you like, of America was huge and the influence was huge, whether it was the music you were listening to or the films mm -hmm. you were looking at or all that kind of thing. So you tell us a little bit about how you fell in love uh, with uh, America. I think it was just the other, you know, I grew up, <clears throat> I, I went to secondary school in a, uh, in a coal mining town uh, in Fife. Uh, and on two sides of the town, there was pit bins or, or slag heaps. And if the weather was, you know, if, if, the, if it was a bit sort of dreech and damp and the wind was blowing in a particular direction, you'd actually be, you know, you could feel it. Uh, you, you know, you were, you were breathing in coal dust uh, and fumes. Wow. So it, it, it wasn't a fantastic place. I mean, it was a lovely place to grow up, but it wasn't fantastic. And I think the whole, the whole idea of America uh, for me, uh, in terms of American culture, but also to some extent mainland European culture, was so powerful and other because it offered an escape, uh, a different perspective, uh, a different way of looking at the world. And from about my mid-teens and onwards, I was, I was captivated uh, by it all. You know, I wasn't blind to uh, Scottish music or, or mm -hmm. Scottish writers. You know, my old friend Ian Rankin's doing some DJing this evening and there's a whole slug of uh, Sensation Alex Harvey band in there, as there should be. But you know what, I, you know, I knew the language and I knew the cultural references, where, whereas the, the sort of whole American thing, whether or not it was music or, or novels or plays, or to a lesser extent poetry, was quite captivating for me. Yeah, I've always been fascinated why Scott, and it might just because there's a body of water between us, or just about mm. between us, but Scotland does seem to have this obsession with American, you know, when I was growing up, there was American-style diners, and yes. had country and western clubs in places like, you know, Wishaw. Yes. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it was maybe a global um, uh, obsession, but it does seem to me that there was a real hold. In, I mean, I think about the fantastic work of John Byrne, for instance, yeah. and how he was clearly influenced by the, the style. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, in, and interestingly, uh -huh. you know, for better or for worse, I think American culture is certainly at the time was, was very global. So my partner is Indian, uh, but she grew up, she was born and she grew up in Kenya. And her knowledge of US television programs in the 70s is profound yeah. because it was that that was available to her. That's it's so interesting. Uh, so the flip side of that is perhaps the politics that you were talking about. Yeah. And exactly. um, certainly the political regime, for want of a better word, um, yeah. when Reagan came in, kind of took yeah. you the other way and kind of put you yeah. off the whole country, if you like. Mm. Yeah, it was a sort of dreadful time for those of us on the left uh, in, in, in Europe, where you had know, <clears throat> a sort of really disgraceful combination of, of, of Thatcher uh, and Reagan. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, W and, uh, and, and the old man came along as well. So I've always had a very contradictory uh, relationship with, uh, uh, with the US. You know, on, on the one hand, I'd be listening to Janis Joplin in the doors and whatever. And on the other hand, in my modern studies uh, classes uh, in Cowdenbeath and Fife, I'd be writing, you know, rude essays about American involvement in <laughs> Vietnam. 
and the, and the civil rights movement. Even at a time, you know, it took me another four, uh, three or four years before I even met a black person, but I had a strong view on, on, on civil rights. And, and at the time, I wouldn't know where Vietnam was in the world, but I had a strong view on American involvement in, uh, in Vietnam. And I think it's partly, it's partly a, a tradition, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but it's partly a sort of international tradition in Scotland. We, 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 certainly at the time, we looked beyond mm -hmm. our national borders rather than looking internally with regards to what was happening to us as a nation. Yeah, yeah I, think that's, I think that's probably a lot to do with it. Um, so the Appalachian Trail, you've decided to go on this. Give us a little bit of an idea about what a physical and turns out mental challenge that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well... Um, so it's 2,160 miles, and, and for listeners, that's equivalent from, uh, to say, walking from London to Damascus in Syria. Not that one would want to walk to that godforsaken uh, country uh, at the moment, or in the alternate, uh, to doing Land's End to John O'Groats twice, plus some, with some muckle mountains at the beginning and the end. So a massive uh, physical challenge. And even, even at the very beginning, Alistair, you know, one had to stay focused on the end because it finishes uh, in Mount Katahdin in, in Baxter State Park uh, in Maine there. And after about early October, uh, there's snow and ice in abundance. And the park rangers leave partly because of that. And if you get stuck because it's America, yeah, the helicopters will come in and rescue you. They'll, they'll then send you a huge, massive bill uh, uh, for, the, for the privilege. Yeah. So, really just of walking, eating, sleeping, and then, and then repeat, and then repeat, and then repeat. So even at the beginning, there was an end game, and the end game was you need to get there because otherwise you fail. And failure is not part of my psychology, as you'll probably recognize from, from, from reading the book. So it was a very significant physical challenge in the first instance. But then it quickly transmuted into a mental challenge because minus the mental capacity just to keep going on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. deal with, you know, changes in weather, uh, hunger, illness, whatever, 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 was, was crucially important to, to finishing. Yeah. I mean, it, there are lots of, if anyone's thinking about going for a long walk, not quite that long a walk, but, you know, a fair trek, there's some lovely... Um, tips on you know how to prepare or how to um, what to what's important there's a great yeah. section um, fairly early on where you set out how you talk about gear geeks and people who yeah. turn up with all the gear and no idea i suppose and there's yeah. a and, and the u.s postal service is making quite a bit of money shipping back unsuitable gear that people yeah. are with. tell us about that kind of the, the group of when people arrive there what kind of people you meet at the beginning you meet all sorts, really. Um, and, and one of the fascinations was, in, in a country where, you know, the annual holiday entitlement is very limited, uh, where there's, no, there's very few employment uh, protection rights uh, compared to the UK and mainland Europe, people give all that up. So they give up their apartments, they give up their jobs in order to do the trail. Um, they all arrive, some more or less prepared, uh, others, others not. Uh, and then they start. And then they discover that it's really, really serious. <laughs> and typically people are over-prepared, so they're carrying huge muckle packs that they can't sustain on a day-to-day -day basis. 
They've got gear such as uh, a barometer or a climbing rope uh, or a big, massive cooking stove that would be enough to feed half a dozen weans. You know, yeah. when in reality, you just need something really quite small. So you learn very quickly. We all of us learn very quickly what worked and what didn't work. Um, and what struck me was it wasn't necessarily the abundance of gear or preparation or physical fitness that defined people's capacity to keep going. It, was, it came back to the whole sort of mental thing. So, so one of my trail friends, who I, I remain in contact with and who I'm very fond of, it would be fair to say he was quite chubby, mm-hmm. uh, if not pretty chubby. You know, now, that chubbiness became a bit muscly as he moved along, uh, and he had a pack that didn't quite fit him, and he was always carrying too much. But you know what? He started at the beginning and he finished at the end. There was then any number of people that arrived like this, you know, stick thin, yeah. you know, really well prepared, uh, bag loads of gear, and you know what? They were gone within about 250, 300 miles. Mm. In fact, something like 10% of people get off the trail after 30 miles. Now, you know, for those of us, for those of us from a Presbyterian tradition, we look upon that and we think, ah, that's really not quite good enough. <laughs> but, that's the, but that's the truth of the matter. Well, that's yeah, and it's, it's interesting, you know, how you set out, how you change physically and also, you know, to see the mental challenges to you. I should say that I think when you went over, you didn't have a visa. You just you had to get the visa when you arrived, didn't you? That's right, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, got, I'd got permission to travel yeah. uh, in advance of going, but it was effective. It was up to the immigration officer in Chicago or Philadelphia whether or not he was, he was going to grant me uh, access. And, and he was dealing, in, you know, it would, be, it would be fair to say that he, uh, he wasn't an internationalist uh, in terms of how he was treating me and other, other foreign visitors. Um, but somehow, even though I had no place of abode, uh, and even though he couldn't quite wrap his head around the fact I was going to go walking for six months, he, he was kind enough to give me a visa for the six months. Now, for other Europeans, uh, they were either sent home or alternatively, they were given a visa for three months and then had to reapply. Yeah. So I was lucky. I was lucky in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Before we get really stuck into the trail, I think it'd be nice to hear a bit more about. You said it was for your fortieth birthday. You turned forty. Uh, that you were doing it. What was your situation at the time? Did you have to leave a lot of things in in the UK, or was it were you quite free to go away and undertake this? Yeah, I know that's a very good question, Alistair. I was self-employed at the time, uh, and my clients were very, uh, were very understanding. Uh, although one of them, I wrote to him and I explained what I was doing. He was quite a keen hiker. Uh, I, I'm probably you know, I'm one of my major clients. So he'd been very generous over a long period of time. And I do remember sending him an email and saying, Dear Alan, this is what I'm doing. I hope you don't mind, I'm going to disappear for six months. And I got a one-word reply from him, and it was bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Which could mean, in Scots, could mean so many. It could mean anything. It could absolutely mean anything. So so, so there was that. I was in a a long-term relationship at the time, and my partner was was very patient. She joined me for a few weeks on the uh, the trail. And my family were... uh, 
Oh, uh, they were they were understanding, but at the same time uh, concerned that I was about to sort of walk away from uh, uh, self-employment, yeah. uh, take myself off to a foreign country, and then do something stupid. But nevertheless, they were they were supportive. Yeah. So um, when you start, uh, what was really interesting to me was the people that you meet because you meet a real kind of wide, really wide range. I mean. And one of the conclusions that you come to, of course, is that almost America's too big to kind of neatly wrap up in a bow anyway, if you didn't know that before. Yeah. But that really comes through with the people that you meet along the way. And initially when I was reading, I thought, was he making these names up? Because you meet people like fennel and fried bread yeah. and <laughs> animal. And I thought, well, this doesn't sound, does it sound yeah. like... And then you explain later on about trail names. So can you explain to people about what a trail name is and why? Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, there's a whole sort of tradition uh, on the Appalachian Trail of, of trail names where people either come with a name that they want to, to be known as or they're offered uh, a trail name. And it's up to them whether or not they, they accept it. Uh, so, so Fennel was a, a keen, uh, keen vegetarian. Uh, sailman uh, lived on a boat. Uh, Pat from Maine was uh, was from Maine. Uh, walking <laughs> home was from, was from New England, so he was walking home. Uh, and I was offered up any any number. I, I refused them. I refused them all because it struck me as being a rather sort of peculiar and slightly daft thing to do. But I, I was offered wee drop uh, one day when I when somebody offered me uh, a, a drop of their whiskey. I said, "I'll have a wee drop." Uh, there was clearly any number of younger hikers who'd been uh, uh, who'd either read with translation or watched train spotting, so Begbie and Heroin Boy and and and, uh, and all the rest of it. And then and then there was a whole sort of uh, other Scottish references going on. But the, tra the trail names were were important to people, uh, and most of them came uh, came came prepared. Uh, as, it, as it were, which is one of the peculiarities uh, of the trail. And interestingly, although I didn't make it to the 20th reunion gathering in Damascus, Virginia, uh, because of COVID, I did have a Zoom call with five or six folks I'd walked with over the period oh, of time. Wow. And folks were using their trail names. Because as far as I can tell, they're maybe used to communicate if you wanted to get a message to someone, instead of saying, oh yeah, John Scott, they might say, Scottish John, exactly. or they might say, well, exactly. yeah. they would be so individual. Quite. Yeah. Quite. A very, very individual and a very effective means of communication. And interestingly, I mean, I have watched with interest the impact of technology on the Appalachian Trail, but most folks are that, you know, they've got their mobile phones, they've got GPS, you can follow them on, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. So I, 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 the trail name thing still continues, but it's much, it's much less... Um, much less powerful, yeah. Uh, it's a kind of, it's a slightly sad thought to think that people are wandering this, these trails and still getting their Spotify playlists and things exactly. like that. Yeah, quite, quite, quite. And, that, you know, they've got their earphones on or their mobile phones and the, you know, Sanchez trial. It, it, it doesn't quite land for me, but that's probably a function of age and, and generation, yeah. But even in the book, there's people, oh, I can't remember what you call them, that kind of drive some of the, they kind of have parties along the yeah, trail. Yeah, yeah. Yellow, yellow blazers. And then set up. Yeah, yeah. yellow blazers. And, and they're looked down upon uh, by us folks that, that did the thing. 
but nevertheless, you know, they've got networks and they travel along or they take some time off. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, they're engaged with the trail, but they're not engaged. Yeah. It's kind of weekenders, what people are, you're part-timers, that kind of thing. You're not saying, really... that's, that's the sort of language I would use of them, uh, uh, use, use about them. Um, and there's, there's just that sort of, you know, they're, they're not, they're not doing, they're, they're not doing it. They're not, they're not, they're, they're not committing themselves. They're not applying, well, it's that Presbyterian thing again, yeah. but the Americans can be very Presbyterian. They are looked upon, they're looked down upon by the trail community in part because they're just not committed and they're yeah. party. And if you're serious about hiking 2,100 miles, you, you know, you can't afford to party too much. I mean, it is an astonishing undertaking. When you described it as Mark going from London to Syria, I mean, I think that will give some people just, yeah. you know, an idea of what it undertakes. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other characters that you met along the way? There's some, there are some interesting people. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, um, if, I, if I sort of think about the themes, as it were. Yeah. The, the sort of majority of the population were college graduates who were busy working out what they were going to do next with their lives. Mm -hmm. There was then, and, and that, was, that was a very sort of serious and significant effort uh, for them because it gave them the, the time, the space and the freedom to think serious thoughts about what next. Uh, and any number of them were, after, were under significant pressure from their parents to do the right thing, which of course was to find a good job in a good profession and, and do all that. So in a, year, was, in a way it was kind of like um, the perhaps more West or European idea of a gap year. A gap year, yeah, you know, exactly. Doing yep. the backpacking through Thailand and Vietnam yep. and all that kind of stuff. All of that. Oh, all, all of that, yeah. So there was that sort of gap year, and you're right to describe there was that sort of gap year thing going on. And that, that barely, exist, uh, barely existed in the States at that time. It, was, it has been a waste of time and money, as you might imagine. There was then a, a smaller number of people like me who were, you know, midlife, but, you know, possibly you, you, one might argue sort of midlife crisis, uh, as it were. And then there was a number of seniors who had retired uh, either because they'd chosen to or because it had been forced upon them. And they wanted to do something very different after 40, 45 years, a very, very, very significant effort, uh, Alistair. But I, I think it would be fair to say that certainly with the people that I uh, was hiking with, we were all of us trying to work out what the hell we were going to do next. You know, we were thinking about the past and that past just might be, you know, three or four years at university, yeah. or in my case, you know, 20 years or so. Uh, but crucially, uh, thinking, about, thinking about the future. And then there was a, a much smaller proportion of people who had some very serious stuff to deal with. You know, there's folks who are struggling with mental health issues, uh, who, whose lives have been blighted by ill health or poverty, uh, one chap was, was walking on behalf of his brother who had intended to do the trail but was, was terminally ill. Mm -hmm. uh, and another, another chap who, who I walked with for a period of time and, and who very sadly died whilst on the trail because unbeknown to the rest of us, he, he, he had a very serious heart condition. So he was out there. Um, I, I think 
recognizing that his time was limited right. and doing what he wanted, doing what he was passionate about doing, and that was hiking. Yeah. So it was and fascinating. Just, just, just from that sort of, why are people doing it? What are they thinking about? What happens to them? It was absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I, I read that uh, kind of a uh, review uh, when we started talking, um, which, you know, accused you of maybe, you know, poking fun at America or whatever. Did you have any experiences yeah. like that along the way when you were talking to people? There was a, there was a number. Yeah, there was um, some pretty sharp exchanges of views. Uh, I mean, I, I do my best when I'm traveling around the world to be polite and respectful because I think it's, you know, I think it's yeah. just inappropriate to do otherwise. But if people want to sort of go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, then I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So we had any, any number of discussions on issues of race, uh, gun control, uh, uh, religion, health insurance, uh, of course. But my most memorable uh, occasion was when I spent the night in a, in a shelter just outside the Great Smoky Mountains with a survivalist and one of my hiking buddies. Uh, and, and, and the survivalist uh, opined, expressed a view uh, that the best thing that could happen uh, to the States was that all the liberals and homosexuals uh, would be shipped to Europe. Mm -hmm. And I was within a spit of saying, oh, thank you very much, we'll take them all. And my hiking buddy, who was an ex-Marine, looked at me in such a way as to say, John, I think it's probably time for you to wind your neck and, and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's probably, I, I, that's a great bit in the book, but yeah, you, yeah this could go really wrong. It uh, could go really wrong, yeah. And he, you know, he, he claimed to have uh, weapons stored in the forest, and he was certainly tooled up, you know, he, 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 was, he was carrying a pistol, and, a, you know, I, I know for a fact he was carrying a very sharp knife because he was, you know, he was keen enough to show me it and, you yeah. know, explain to me it was within legal limits, but only just, yeah. Yeah, I think when someone decides to show you how sharp their knife is, and it can happen in this country as well, yeah, exactly. yeah. take a step back. <laughs> and, and go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With one eye open, probably. Yeah, because yeah, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, how you, you kind of spent some nights camping, and then other nights you would use hostel facilities, you know, to kind of refresh and wash and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. It very much seems geared up to um, regular use. It's a real your kind of um, highway of walkers, isn't it? Of course. Well, I mean, there was something like, uh, in 2000, there was something like 3,000 people started. Yeah. You know, by uh, halfway through, there was about 1,500 uh, left. And then at the end, there was something like 15 to 20% of us uh, finished. But it's a, it's a very well-established route. And the local communities uh, around the trail benefit from it. Although, you know, they also suffer from bad behavior and, uh, you know, all, all the rest that you might expect from uh, folks who are out in the woods and desperate to have a, a few beers and, and whatever, yeah. whatever. But no, it, it is it's very well. I mean, I think the year I did it, the trail was celebrating its 70th uh, anniversary. And it's a massive uh, voluntary exercise. You know, when, when we go hiking in Scotland or England, we, we sort of assume that the national parks folks or the local authority or whatever, whatever, will take responsibility for the trail and all the, you know, all the stuff that goes with it. Uh, and on the trip, on the Appalachian Trail, it's absolutely supported by voluntary activity, which is one of the things that just amazes me. Um, 
you talk a little bit about uh, music when you're on the trail. You know, there's country and western music, and again, maybe linking back to um, why you fell in love with uh, America yeah. in the first place. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, is that throughout? I mean, I think it's at one point you say there's somebody carrying a tuba. Yeah, yeah, tuba man. He was going from uh, North. He's called tuba man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I had him play, and there was a couple of people who carried uh, traveling guitars. And there was a there was a flautist at, uh, at one stage, but I have to say my 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 expectations of, of you know of bumping into live music were, were very much disappointed. Right. Uh, you know, country music TV was fantastic, although it was cringeworthy uh, on occasion. Um, and then the live, I only bumped into two live gigs and they were both of them dreadful. I think on, on the second occasion, the band was completely, as completely drunk as all the, all the guests, including the dogs. Uh, it, it was dry in that respect in, in terms of a sort of musical uh, experience. Oh, and then, you know, on, on a few occasions when I pulled into major cities, Boston included at the end, I was so exhausted, I, I could barely be bothered to switch on the radio, let alone get along to a gig. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, this is the thing as well, I suppose, because you can choose to be on your own, and then you can, uh, you know, you, was that an important part of it? Because I'm guessing if you undertake something like this, part of you wants to spend some time on your own, with your own yes. thoughts. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, and that's right. It's partly that sort of combination of being on your own, and then being with others, uh, as in as in when you wish. Although any number of people, I, th I think it would be fair to say the majority of people arrive with friends or loved ones. You know, th those relationships didn't necessarily continue. Yeah. In fact, any number of relationships and marriages fell apart. Any number of relationships and marriages were created uh, on the trail. There was one point, I think in the Smokies, where you could do a left hitch into town and get married. <laughs> uh, uh, and, 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 and that happened to one or two couples. I quite know quite what happened to them after that. I, I, I don't know. But the solitude thing was, uh, was important uh, for me. And I think, uh, well, I, I mean, I reflect in the book that, you know, a certain amount of solitude was fine. But after a period of time, I, I realized that uh, I actually enjoyed being with, uh, with other people. And that was important and continues to be so. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I'd like to ask you about now. And what kind of conclusions and reflections did you have once you'd finished? And, and are they still with you now? Well, and that's, that's also a very good question. I mean, I, 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 partly because I've re-released or republished a book after 20 years, I've, yeah. I've gone through some detail. And I, and I looked at uh, the conclusions that I'd drawn then. And they're, they're, they're still with me to some extent, although my life has changed quite yeah. significantly. Uh, over the past 20 years or so. I think I'm done with huge amounts of travel and huge amounts of time off. Uh, I'm not sure I'll do anything quite as significant again, uh, you know, six months, 2,160 mm. miles. Um, but I do like major changes and, and I enjoy them. And I love being around people uh, and I love exploring uh, uh, new cultures, how, how so ever described. Um, yeah. So, in terms of your one thing, I'm interested in because you set so, out at a time when, again, it was slightly more liberal government in, in America. Tell me. If would you do it now? Hell no. 
I thought yeah, you know, they, they, you know, I, you know I, 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 got, I got over myself to go to uh, Damascus, Virginia for the 20th anniversary. And that included, you know, taking my sorry ass along to the U.S. Embassy in London because I've got, you know, as a, as a function of my working experience, I've got Libyan and Iraqi stamps in my passport. So I had to go and apply for a passport. I got over that. Uh, and I got over uh, the fact that Trump is president. Uh, but would I do it again under the current presidency? I, I, no, I'd rather stick a fork in my eye and turn it, uh, Alistair, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it's a shocking, shocking uh, place uh, uh, in, in, in my view. Uh, you know, I, I'm hopeful uh, that the November uh, election will, uh, will change that. Um, and I've got an old friend, uh, not a trail friend, but an old friend who's, who I, who's ex-US Army, and I think is probably a spook. And I, and I suspect he was a Trump supporter uh, at the time, but he and I had a conversation recently, and he's quite clearly changed his mind uh, with regards to the benefits that otherwise of poor Donald. And we need with some embarrassment to recognise he does indeed have Scottish blood in him. Yes. But no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go there now. No. I, I did wonder that as I was reading it. Um, so what's, you said that this is your only book, isn't it? Is that right? Aye, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a real shame because I think it's really well written. Really well written. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, you know, the, the kind of uh, thing about Zen and the art of trail walking was deliberate. You know, it was <laughs> it really does kind of set out and breaks down a lot of the, what you kind of take an undertaking like this is. Would you ever think of doing anything, writing anything else? Or? Well, it's, it's, so my, my partner's daughter, uh, Anya, is an exceptionally insightful uh, teenager. And she asks, you know, she's got a look about her and she turns around and she looks at you and you think, oh, Christ, she's about to ask me a difficult question. <laughs> she, she asked me that question uh, a couple of months back. Uh, and, and my immediate response was, hell no. And, and here's why. I found the process of writing uh, the book almost as difficult, if not more so, than doing the trail. Uh. Uh, and, and it's also the case that I, I've got no clue. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm always, I'm in admiration when I, when I watch your podcast, Alistair, of that very fine guitar you've got over your shoulder. <laughs> but also a fantastic library uh, behind you there. I've got no clue how people make money in the book trade. Mm. Uh, uh, so, and because I think that is not many do. I think that's right, and because I'm, you know, because I'm a self-employed person, I think no oh, time and money. Da, 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 da. But, but fundamentally, I, I just found the process of writing. I suppose partly because it was Zen-like, and, and it was exploring issues that I wanted to explore and put them out in the public domain for the first time. I found that really quite challenging. And would I want? To, I mean, I still blog and I write, but you know, it's short, it's punchy, it's to the point. Would I want to do another book? Uh, I think not. <laughs> okay. Well, what? So, <laughs> how, what do we find you now? I mean, are you, you're um, you're back in London, as you mentioned earlier. I mean, yeah, 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 I mean, the very end of the book is a kind of one of reflection on many things. So, um, how do you f reflect upon your time on the trail now? I, I, I just think it was such a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Uh, and I, I benefited from it hugely 
uh, over my life in, in so many ways. Just that opportunity to take time out, yeah. do something physically and emotionally challenging, and then to have the luxury, because it, it's a luxury, Alistair, yeah. to have the luxury to be able to think and reflect and write upon it is, is, is such, such a blessing. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not sure there's anything else that, uh, that I can point to that's been quite, quite so powerful. Uh, but, and it, it continues to, you know, it continues to, uh, to shape what I do. So, you know, the music thing's still around for me. The, the sort of connection with the States is still around for me. Uh, so I'm watching very carefully what's happening uh, uh, with, the, with the election. The outdoor thing is still around. So my partner and I are currently walking the, um, uh, the Capitol Ring, which is a, you know, 75 or 175 mile thing around London. Yeah. Uh, so that, 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 that all continues. Yeah, all continues. And, and I remain, I was just sort of looking through some recent um, CD purchases and music purchases. Uh, you know, the, the American culture thing is, is still, still very much there. Although I, I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll engage in such a big adventure uh, again. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, my, my, my partner might just say to me one of these days, you know, let's go on a big muckle walk. And I might then say to him, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say, I found the book uh, inspirational. I thought it was a fantastic read and I hope other people pick it up and find the same. Um, mm -hmm. John, it's been, it's been so interesting talking to you, I can't tell you. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure, Alistair. A great, great pleasure to meet you. I have a huge respect for everything that you're doing, and I wish you every success and happiness. Thank you very much. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Great. Cheers, now. <laughs>